Moncrief on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Time to uh, uh, turn our attention away from COVID uh, uh, for a little bit and look at some uh, things going on in other parts of the world. Jonathan DeBurka Butler joins us once again. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Happy New Year to you. And same to you. Right, uh, Iran we're going to go to uh, first, where uh, a, a man has been executed, but for a crime he committed uh, some time ago. Yeah, this is um, the story of a man called uh, Mohammed Hassan Razai. Um, he was 30 years of age when he was put to death in Iran last Thursday, um, executed by hanging, as far as I know, Um now, he was arrested in 2007 uh, over the fatal stabbing of a man. Amnesty International and, and his own family and his supporters have always, say that he was, have always said that he was convicted on the back of a forced confession. And um, th- this particular uh, execution and the, the lead up to it uh, was on the radar of the United Nations, specifically on the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, um, and, and her office had known about this for some time. And as I said, had been on her radar because he was only 16 when he was actually uh, convicted of this particular crime. So therefore, he was a juvenile. And as Michelle Bachelet pointed out, um, people might remember her name because she's the former president of Chile, by the way, mm. um, just in case the name rings a bell. But as she pointed out, that this was basically against all, all human rights. Um, unfortunately uh, for uh, Mohammed Hassan Razai, um, the concerns of the international community weren't listened to. And uh, as I said, he was put to death last Thursday. Is there any explanation? Uh, uh, there's a very long time lag there. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I, that, that is a good point. And Amnesty pointed out that, you know, he was over, what, 13, 12, 12 or 13 years on death row after his conviction. I don't know if he had several appeals and they, um, you know, that they just they took a a good length of time or if it's a case like in the United States where these things just take take an awful, uh, an awful long time. Mm. Um, But he's he's not the first. I mean, there's been this comes off the back of a few very uh, high profile executions in Iran. Um, you might remember la- late last year, there was a journalist who was, who was executed, um, who was kind of seen as being against the regime. And, and he was executed for crimes on earth or some bizarre corruption on earth. That's what it was, some bizarre charges. And then there was a wrestler who was very much anti-regime at the end of last year. I think we might have covered it actually. Um, who was convicted of murder again in dubious circumstances, and 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 he was um, he was hanged at the end of last year. But there were three other juveniles already this year who were um, who were who were sentenced to death and hanged as well. And according to some statistics and some stores, sources, there are another eighty uh, who at least were convicted while they were juveniles uh, who are still waiting to be uh, uh, executed. My word. And yeah. so these would all be people uh, who would still be teenagers who are waiting to be executed. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they were either, like like uh, Mohammed uh, Hassan Razai, they were convicted at, at least when they were um, juveniles. You know what mm. I mean? But they might be older now. Um, but, you know, Iran is up there as having one of the highest rates of executions in the world after China and and. Uh, and um, the United States. So, um, you know, it's something that you see a lot of and a lot of coverage about when, when we talk about Iran. Right, Syria we're going to go to uh, next and uh, uh, it seems as if ISIS hasn't gone away. 
Well, yeah, that's you, you put it well, Sean. I mean, this is a story that I think a lot of people last year, certainly, and a good bit of the year before, it kind of disappeared a little bit, uh, the whole thing about Syria. Um, I, I think that's probably for two reasons, uh, mainly because the borders of Europe uh, weren't being breached, uh, as some people would have seen it by Syrians who were escaping the war. And also the, the threat of Islamic Islamic State uh, began to dissipate somewhat in, in the last couple of years. And victory, if we can call it that, over Islamic State was declared early last year, around about March of 2019, when they you know, lost their the, a small pocket of land that they controlled um, near the border with Iraq. So this was in the, it's in a kind of a province in Syria, in the east of the country, it's called Der Ezzar. Um, it's quite, it's it's um, very isolated. It's mainly desert, and they're effectively lost control of this region. But there are still sleeper cells and and you know pockets of of people who are still active in the area, and they're focusing very much on uh, Iranian-backed militants and their allies in the um, Syrian army. Okay, who are obviously backed by um, Bashar al-Assad and trying to you know, prop up that particular regime. So every now and again, they attack them. And in this particular instance, 37 people were killed uh, when their bus was hijacked. All right. So these were mainly soldiers who were coming back to their post in this region of uh, Der Ezzar, uh, this particular province, as I said, near the border with Iraq. And um, it was a targeted attack. Right. So so the, the people who, who did this, they knew who they were getting at. Um, these were high-level, well-trained soldiers uh, who were apparently affiliated with the the kind of renowned the renowned Fourth Brigade. Um, so, as I said, uh, the bus was stopped and uh, 37 people were killed, and about uh, half of those, I think, were were involved in that Fourth Brigade were Syrian army. Right, the, uh, but ISIS doesn't control any area in Syria anymore. So this is this is a kind of a renegade uh, series of movements. Yeah, they would be, they would be. But you see, the thing about them is that what they will do is there's an awful lot of um, what would we call it animosity, okay, mm-hmm. towards uh, Bashar al-Assad and mm-hmm. his troops in that part of the world. So they're going to probably try and do what they did before. Uh, which is and, and what they're doing in other parts of Africa, it should be said, which is tap into um, discontent uh, amongst locals yeah. uh, and try and, and get people to, to work specifically against the Iranian militants, which I think locals are particularly, you know, aggrieved with and, and, and who kind of act without any controls uh, in the in the area. Right, Senegal we're going to go to next and uh, this is very interesting in the sense of uh, the, the crime that these uh, fathers have been yeah. convicted of. So uh, what have they been convicted of doing? Yeah, so basically th- these are three fathers who have each been sentenced to two years in prison, right? And and this happened on Tuesday. Uh, they were sentenced by a court in Senegal for the charges specifically for placing the lives of others in danger, right? Now they had another charge of abetting migrant trafficking dropped and it's quite lucky for them that they did because they probably would have been sentenced to prison for a lot longer and i think what's interesting about this story is that in this particular case the three fathers got their sons to get on a boat and go to europe okay to cut a long story short right Mm -hmm. so one of them was a 15 year old boy by the name of dudu okay that was his nickname uh, it was his dream to eventually get to Italy and join a football academy and become a professional footballer, okay? 
But on his trip from Senegal to the Canary Islands, he died. And we, we don't know exactly how he died, because when he died on the boat, they simply took his body and they tipped it over and into the into the ocean. OK, yeah. it's a very sad story. Mm. Um, eventually, the other two boys got back to Senegal and a couple of weeks after the fathers were arrested right, for placing the lives of others in danger, namely their sons. And what they had done is they had basically paid a man, I think in the case of Dudu, it was 80 euros to take the sons over to the Canary Islands and then move on to Europe. And what I found interesting about this story was the fact that the authorities didn't like this, right? Because there's a perception that, you know, everybody in, you know, these countries, inverted commas, depending on your point of view, is trying to get their kids across and the government are com governments are complicit and all that kind of thing. And they're really not, right? They're trying to discourage people from doing this, right? So in this, these, this particular, uh, th these particular convictions, I think anyway, are sending a message to other mothers and fathers not to send their children abroad or put them in boats where they're going to, you know, specifically where they're going to die while they're trying to get to Europe. Mm. I, I, that makes sense. Um, so yes, that's that's what they were uh, sentenced uh, to two years each for. Um, was basically putting their kids on boats. That's so interesting. One wonders though, are are they uh, getting any pressure from the European Union? There must be, or 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 some sort of quid pro quo here in having legislation like that to discourage people from going. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I have to say, I don't know uh, whether whether that has has come from Europeans as such. It, it, it's cert certainly something worth looking into. I'll have a look at that. Um, uh, but uh, I think the point behind it is, as you say, it's it's to de-incentivize uh, people from 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 going abroad. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the lure of life in in Europe is is um, really tempting and. The other problem, and not to go on about it too much, Sean, because I know we're short of time, but the other problem is specifically where these people were from on the west coast of Senegal, these are fishing villages, right? And, and their livelihoods are being decimated because boats from Europe are coming into their seas and oh. taking all their fish. So, you know, they can't make a livelihood. Uh, so, you know, they, they would argue or some of them would argue, what else are they supposed to do? Yeah, that's interesting. Right, uh, Honduras we're going to go to next. Another very sad story. An activist killed in front of their family. Yeah, a man by the name of 60-year-old uh, Felix Vasquez. He was a, a member of the Lenca indigenous community. Um, those people have been fighting to save their land since the mid-noughties uh, when uh, several companies came into their area in uh, western Honduras and tried to build dams in the area. Now, as a result of their activism, many of them have been killed, right? There was 14 environmental activists that were connected to this particular uh, very large project who were murdered in 2019 alone, okay? Um, there was one very high-profile killing a, a number of years ago, Bertha Caceres. Um, she, she, she was gunned down, and um, seven people have been convicted for that so far. And the reason I am bringing Bertha Caceres into this story is because it probably offers an indicator as to who was responsible for the murder of this man. Nobody's taken responsibility for it yet. Authorities have said they don't know why, uh, but it, it is more than likely that it has something to do with the people who were trying to build this dam and who then had that dam blocked. Mm -hmm. And that annoyed an awful lot of local businesses. It an, awful, an awful lot of money was spent on that project. 
And because the project didn't go ahead, uh, obviously people uh, got annoyed. And and there was a number of these activists who who really had a had a number on their back uh, for a very long time. Um, uh, and so it's not surprising, although it is shocking. Right, India next. And again, this is a, a trend that you've spoken about before. Uh, this time, the latest uh, the latest move uh, against Muslim schools. Yeah, so this is in the um, uh, in Assam, uh, over in the east of uh, India, and and the context is relatively important here. Geographical context: it's it's bordered by Myanmar to the uh, east, and then Bangladesh to the south. And the reason I mention that is because between the from about 1970 until about 2010, the population of Assam you know, sort of trebled, okay? And much of that population growth was due to an influx of people coming from Bangladesh, who, of course, are are, uh, majority Muslim, okay? So what you have in Assam is a a group of people who are Hindu, who've been there for a long time. There's about two-thirds of the population are Hindu. And then a third, a very large minority of about 10 million people who are living there and are seen by Hindus as being very problematic, okay? Mm. Now, this has caused problems in the past, right? Back in 1983, there was about 3,000 Bangladeshi Muslims killed and murdered, okay? More recently, in 2012, there were riots in Assam. 77 people died in those riots. So it is already a tinderbox. And when you consider the Citizen Amendment Act that was brought in, what was it, last year, I think, in 2019, which basically excluded Muslims from in, in these regions from becoming citizens, uh, and you add the fact that Narendra Modi's BJP party has now passed a law converting state-run Islamic schools into regular schools, it's making life very uncomfortable for Muslim uh, people in this particular region. It's happening in other regions as well, but a, a lot of it is concentrated in Assam, it should be said. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell, though, what the strategy for this is. Are they expecting Muslims to move to Pakistan, for instance, or, or what? I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. I, 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 it's, it's to, to me, like, it seems it's there's a touch of the Trump about it. And I've always thought that Modi has been well ahead of Trump when it comes to pandering to his base. OK, he, he's done this all along. They're, they're, they're tiny little measures that he makes, or they seem to be tiny little measures. But what they do is they allow others in what is a in very powerful uh, regional parliaments to make laws like this. And this is what's happened. Like this was brought through by a guy called uh, Himanta Biswasarma, who's got nearly 900,000 followers on Twitter. If you put his name into Google, he's all over the place. So here's a guy who wants to make a name for himself, brings in this law, uh, which which gets rid of state-run Islamic schools, and it should be, and I should emphasise, it is state-run Islamic schools. Private ones won't be mm. affected, at least ostensibly. Um, but that's that's what it's all about. It's it's pandering to the Hindu base and staying in power. And so far, so good. It's working very well for Modi uh, and his and his party. Right, Hong Kong. We're going to go to next. Uh, a teenager's been jailed there for insulting the flag. Did the flag specifically complain about the teenager? Yes, the, the <laughs> yes, he did. He was very insulted. Uh, Tony Chung, who is a 19-year-old activist, a pro-democracy activist, there's a kind of a, a group, they're a bit like the Beatles at this stage in, in terms of, of, of their international um, prowess and how popular they are amongst international activists. So there's like Tony Chung, 19, 
uh, Joshua Wong, who's a little bit older, and, and Agnes Chow. So, so Tony Chung is going to go to prison for four months for insulting China's flag. Basically, he was at um, a protest when he, I think he threw the, the flag on the ground, uh, the Chinese flag on the ground. So mm. he was caught doing that. And uh, he was sentenced to three months, actually, for that, and then three months for unlawful assembly. So it's supposed to be six months, but they've knocked off two months. I don't know why, probably to, to show how wonderful uh, they are. And uh, he's going to spend the next four months behind bars. I think what's more worrying for him is the fact that while he's in prison, he's going to be on tri trial for um, uh, accusations of secession. And that could lead to life and imprisonment. So I think he's got a bit more of a, of a fight on his hands. Uh, and, um, you know, insulting the flag it might might look like small, small fry, to be honest yeah. with you, by the time the Chinese government have finished with them. Right. Uh, finally, Australia, where they've amended the national anthem there uh, in, you know, political correctness gone mad from Scott Morrison. Yes, uh, this is Prime Minister Scott Morrison. He's he's announced to change the words. And uh, so instead of saying uh, young and free in one of the lines of the anthem, they will now from now on saying we are one and free. Uh, and the whole point behind that is is because, of course, Australia, as as Aborigines will point out, isn't actually that young at all. Mm. Uh, there has been societies and an Aboriginal society there for thousands of years. And uh, just because a couple of white Europeans come along and, and civilize it, inverted commas, uh, doesn't mean they should refer to the country as young and free. And they finally decided to agree with them. Um, so they've changed it from young and free to one and free and uh, everybody's happy. Right. Are they? Are the, the, the indigenous people of Australia delighted and say, well, that's the only problem we had, really? Actually, do you know something? The statements that I've seen, that's a great point, because the statements that I've seen so far have only been from the white people patting themselves on the back for making the changes. So I'll get back to you on that one, Sean. Okay. Jonathan, thanks for uh, talking with us today. Jonathan DeBurka Butler, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. Back in a couple of minutes. Moncrief on News Talk.